The views expressed on this show by guests and the host on issues outside of the 9-11 controlled demolition evidence are the opinions of those individuals alone and do not necessarily reflect those of architects and engineers for 9-11 Truth. Welcome to another episode of 9-11 Freefall. I am the host, Andy Steele, and today we are going to be joined once again by engineer Larry Cooper, who is off of a successful presentation to an ASCE chapter in Florida. Uh, this is part of Project Due Diligence, a very important outreach program that's been going on for a number of years. Now it's picking up steam and it's reaching out to the engineering community, reaching out to the grassroots where the power is behind any organization out there. So just a quick intro for Larry. Larry is a structural engineer and an advisory board member of AE911 Truth. Uh, he has 40 plus years of consulting engineering experience related to the structural design and construction of major wastewater treatment facilities and highway and railway bridges. Uh, he has a master's degree in structural engineering from the University of Illinois slash Urbana. He is also dedicated, uh, he's a dedicated project due diligence volunteer, which is, of course, sharing the evidence of the World Trade Center destructions, the controlled demolitions of those buildings to engineers all across the country. Let's bring Larry into the stream. Larry, welcome yes. back to 11 Freefall. Well, hello, Andy. Good to see you again. So, again, I try not to be a broken record on these shows. We just had you on back in January. We talked a lot about project due diligence. But let's say there's an engineer who was so, uh, so motivated <clears throat> by this evidence that he's tuning in to for the first time. Just briefly remind our audience what project due diligence is doing, what it's all about, and uh, why you know how important this is. Well, okay, well, what we're doing is uh, we've studied the uh, evidence um, explaining what caused the World Trade Center uh, Twin Towers and uh, Building 7 to collapse. And, we, and we're focused right now on Building 7 because uh, that uh, was not hit by a plane, but it was just a total collapse uh, unheard of previous to 9-11. Um, in a few seconds. And what is really uh, new uh, since we started uh, Project Due Diligence is uh, the, a four-year in-detail, in-depth study has been uh, conducted at the University of Alaska by Dr. Uh, Halsey with the help of a couple of graduate students. And so coupling that with other evidence that we had already gathered over some time and analyzed by, we have now uh, put together uh, a rather detailed presentation that uh, shows uh, quite conclusively uh, really what explains the collapse of Building 7. And um, so I was really, uh, in my most recent presentation was um, at the uh, Suncoast branch of, of um, ASCE in uh, Sarasota, Florida, 
Uh, there's 22 uh, people present. And uh, it was an interesting mix of people. Uh, they ranged in age from probably in their 20s up to people um, beyond retirement. Um, and it was, uh, it was also an interesting collection of people uh, from the regional standpoint, because being Florida, why this time of the year, there's a lot of what we call snowbirds, like myself, who are in Florida. And so there are people, there were engineers, builders, contractors who are active in Florida now, but who came from places like Pittsburgh and New York and so on. And so some of them uh, were very aware uh, of what happened on 9-11 that uh, were at or near the site. And, um, and people that uh, have a real strong understanding of uh, building construction, uh, building behavior. Uh, and uh, I was really quite pleased with how engaged they were in the presentation uh, that I uh, was giving. So let me jump in for a second, Larry, because I really want to stress to our viewers, you know, we're talking about project due diligence a lot. And, you know, it's one of those things, oh, you know, we gave a presentation to engineers. Um, and just looking at it superficially, you'd be like, well, you've done that before. Well, yeah, but we weren't doing that years ago. Now we have people calling to the heads of chapters all across this country. And I'm part of it too. And I've noticed that from my own outreach to them, <clears throat> when I just simply lay it out, we have two conflicting reports. One's from NIST, one is from the University of Alaska. You know, we've got to iron out this conflict, figure out what's going on there. Uh, we're going to present the University of Alaska report because uh, the mainstream, the organizations such as the ASCE aren't really doing a good job of letting their constituency or whatever you want to call it, their membership, know about this. People are typically enthused. They say, okay, great. We want to have this presentation. We want to have this presentation. Now, sometimes other forces step in later and, uh, and stop it. But we are getting them through. We are getting people very interested in this. And I think what this is highlighting and what Larry's experienced, this was a very successful presentation. I want to just lay this out for the audience. Talking to 22 members of the ASCE, that means they're all engineers. And Larry gets a standing ovation at the end. I hope I'm not giving away any spoilers in your own narrative here, Larry. But he gets a standing ovation. So what does that tell you about the situation in this country? Where you have people who are genuinely interested, at the very least, want to hear about this issue. Want to hear, why do these architects and engineers, you know, why are they saying this is controlled demolition? Why is the University of Alaska Fairbanks publishing this report saying that the NIST report is impossible? They genuinely want to hear out of their own intellectual curiosity, but there's forces that uh, don't want them to hear this. That goes to show you where we are in this country, where your average rank-and-file person out in the street and your rank-and-file engineer who makes up the grassroots of organizations like the ASCE want to hear this. And when they see the evidence, they're given standing ovations. So, Larry, I'm sorry. Please continue. But I want, I want our audience to hear everything about this because you know we talk about the problems and the obstacles that we face and i think it gives a incorrect perception of the situation and you've got the the tokyo roses out there embedded in the 9-11 truth movement who like to say oh it's all dead they're getting nowhere no that's not true 
That is absolutely not true, as Larry's experience now has demonstrated. So we're going to focus on the positive along with the, I don't even want to say negative, I want to say the obstacles, because we expect the obstacles, and, uh, you know, we, we overcome them. We typically do. So, uh, Larry, tell them everything about the presentation. You said there's 22 members uh, who were there. And talk about what you presented. We know it's about Building 7, but talk about some of the points that you went over with them. Well, okay. I, uh, first of all, gave them a little bit of um, uh, uh, background as to uh, uh, it, it was it was really built around the Alaska report. And so to start with uh, pointing out, uh, describing, first of all, the, the fundamentals of the structure, the layout and, and uh, the structural system, and uh, pointing out how it uh, collapsed so uh, quickly. And then um, because we had determined some years ago that the uh, this was a unique situation, uh, it had never, a building has never collapsed like this before, therefore it warranted an in-depth analysis to understand what was different this time. Um, and so that brought about the uh, study done by the University of Alaska uh, in the structural engineering department there. Uh, and so laid out what it was that um, that study was about and the approaches that were taken in the study. Um, one, to simulate the structural response um, th that the structure experienced uh, as a result of the fires it was exposed to, and then examine the uh, hypothesis, the collapse initiation hypotheses that were developed by NIST, and three, to simulate scenarios that would uh, produce a, uh, a model that collapses in agreement with the visual evidence of the collapse. And <clears throat> so then introduce them to the site and the proximity of the building, uh, building seven to the Twin Towers, went through a description of the, how the, uh, the fire, first of all, what was the, uh, how much exposure to fire did the structure have, particularly 413, which is where NIST claimed the uh, initiation of the collapse occurred. So we reviewed the evidence and pointed out that the temperatures that were used by NIST were not consistent with the evidence uh, based on two things. One, the amount of time that the fire was uh, heating up the structural elements that NIST claim caused the collapse. Uh, and the um, based on metallurgical studies, the temperatures that the steel was actually exposed to. Neither of those were uh, 
consistent with the temperatures that NIST used in their study. But regardless of that, um, the University of Alaska went ahead and conducted their analysis of the uh, Building 7 using the same temperatures that NIST used. Um, just to see if by using NIST uh, uh, criteria, they would end up with a, what kind of collapse they would end up with. So <clears throat> we looked at the, okay, the key to NIST explanation was the girder, interior girder being pushed off of the bearing pad at column 79. Well, another problem in the NIST analysis there is that's all based on the floor beams that frame into that girder uh, being fixed at their exterior at the ends of the beams that are framed into the outside wall. Uh, that is a, an assumption, and they call it an assumption. It's an assumption that um, is hard to accept as a reasonable, reasonable assumption. And so part of what uh, the University of Alaska study did is used their computer programs, and they had two different computer models that they uh, used in analyzing the behavior of the structure as it was heated up. And that program, both programs, came up with almost the same result, and it was way different than NIST result. Um, it showed that the movement of the girder relative to the bearing pads would have been on the order of an inch versus NIST's, NIST's claim that it was over six inches. That's one problem. Another problem was uh, NIST had sketches of those details included in their report. And if you look at those sketches, they're not drawn to scale. They're also, they also do not include all of the, um, um, the details, stiffeners and so on, that are actually part of the bearing detail. So the, um, when you take a close look, at the movement that NIST claims occurred, it wouldn't be possible for it to happen because of conflicts with the um, plates that were on the column that would have prevented the girder from sliding off the bearing pad, just a physical obstruction that would have made it impossible. Um, so, Based on that information, we showed that NIST uh, analysis was, uh, was, was unrealistic. But then, going through the Alaska, uh, well, you know, this was, uh, so then an additional analysis was done there. Um, we said, well, okay, let's assume that um, somehow it did come off the bearing pad, even though it physically could not have happened. Let's assume, okay, what would happen if it did? Uh, 
And so a, a stiffness analysis was done on the floor 13 uh, framing system and how it impacted the floor 12, which NIST claimed that that precipitated a progressive collapse as the framing from floor 13 hit floor 12 and then on down. Well, the uh, impact, the calculated impact, uh, was something like 62 kips. But then when you analyze the capacity of the floor 12 connection, which is where the next failure would have had to occur, it was at a capacity of 10 times that. So even if that uh, collapsing of floor 13 to 12 did occur, it would not have caused floor 12 to collapse. Um, and well, let's see, I guess I'm uh, um, well, yeah, quick we question, Larry. C can yeah. the inside of a building fall without showing any real signs on the outside of the building? Uh, well, no. I mean, that's also what was done. Is <laughs> the uh, uh, there NIST contradicts itself in its own report because if you look, because they also prepared a a computer model of the framing system and based on their assumption that it was a progressive failure starting at column 79 that leads to an asymmetrical collapse it leads to rather significant uh, distortions in the overall framing system as the building comes down and you can see that in this own model as far as they show it. They don't run the model to the end, but just with the little bit that they did run, you see rather significant uh, distortions of the framing system occurring. And <clears throat> by running that display alongside the video of the uh, actual collapse of the building, you don't see any perceptible distortions in the actual video. So NIST's own model does not agree with the video. No. Well, let me let me ask you something else, because a couple of weeks ago, we had Ted, Walter, and uh, Mick Harrison on the show, and we were talking about all the legal stuff going on with the NIST lawsuit. And one of the arguments they made for trying to get this thrown out of court was that uh, all they have to do is produce a report. It's sort of a runaround of saying, well, it doesn't necessarily need to be accurate. They feel as long as they give you a bunch of verbiage and a big thick volume that uh, that this is acceptable enough. Just as an engineer, we're going to get very Oprah here. How does that make you feel hearing that, that we didn't have to produce a report? I, I don't know. I mean, all that studying and everything that you did, you must care about your profession. So give us your thoughts. <laughs> Uh, we as, well, any professional, no matter what your profession is, uh, you have some expertise. And when that expertise relates to the health, safety, and welfare of the general public, uh, 
we have a professional obligation to um, explain what really happened. What is it? What do the laws of science, in our case, it's physical science, that um, explains what happened? And, uh, and, and, and that's basically what's behind our work here is this was a unique situation and it warrants uh, in-depth study. And so, uh, yeah, you just can't wave your hand and throw a bunch of dust in the air and say, here's the explanation. <laughs> Making them sound like some kind of major or shaman or something. But I mean, that's basically what they are giving you. They're giving you a bunch of smoke and mirrors and uh, make-believe magic, you know, just to just show. Mm-hmm. That's what they're doing with their reports. We're bringing actual science. And, like, I know, we, we talk about the same points over and over again because it's the evidence. It's true. And uh, and it's all laid out. We've, we've put it in Beyond Misinformation. Ted Walter did a great job with that book. We've laid it out in videos, countless uh, materials that have been distributed, available at our store, or you can download them whatever but the evidence is already there the case was made if we're at the very least having a new investigation years ago uh to me it was a controlled demolition no doubt about it but you know let the people who are just coming in you know do their own investigations and i think if they're intellectually honest they'll uh, agree and that's where it will come out to but if you listen to authorities quote unquote not my authority um you know, people in government, people at these professional organizations, people in the media, they'll say, nobody's interested in this. Your theories were debunked years ago because we said so. Nobody is interested in this stuff. We don't need to have presentations on it. You have no place at any of our functions, much less in society as a whole, if you listen to some of the the ways that they state these things. Um, <clears throat> but again, we are showing people with a lot of interest uh, we are getting standing ovations for Larry here as he brings this evidence to them. I want to know more about this presentation because this is really, I think, a good good illustration of where America really is at. I'm not saying that America is out in the streets right now in Washington, D.C., like it's the Million Man March demanding 9-11 accountability. But I think we're at a place right now, <clears throat> so many years after the event, where people will say, yeah, I'll look at the evidence. Yeah, it's, you know, it's possible. You know, show us what you got. <clears throat> and uh, just from your own perception at this ASCE presentation, what was the vibe overall in the room? Did you feel it was supportive? Was there sort of a, a trepidation in the air? What, what did you feel as you walked in there? Well, walking in there, uh, there was interest. That was uh, that was pretty evident. Uh, I also picked up on. It seems that there was a, a fair amount of publicity given in advance. The uh, people who uh, were responsible for uh, uh, scheduling this uh, uh, apparently were quite excited about it, and they spread the word. And so there was a lot of people that were uh, invited to attend, encouraged to attend. Um, so that um, these were ASCE people too. Not this wasn't AE nine eleven truth publicizing. This is where people affiliated with the ASCE at the absolutely level. right. This was the um, this was the Sun Coast branch of ASCE. Yes, um, 
And, and these are people who are very active in the community. Uh, a lot of the audience was, well, I mean, Florida is a growing state. Uh, there's a lot of new people in town, if you will. Um, and these are people who are ambitious and who are interested in uh, what's going on in the world. And so, yeah, so they, um, uh, well, and for example, uh, the uh, following the presentation, uh, I was discussing discussing it with the, uh, the leader of the group there, the vice president who I was coordinating with. And also there was a uh, woman there who uh, owns a business who is very active in the Rotary Club. And she immediately asked me if I could give a presentation to the Rotary Club and pointing out that there are architects and engineers who um, attend their Rotary meetings. And um, so we scheduled, uh, I will be giving a presentation to the Sarasota Rotary Club in December after I get back here, back down to Florida. So I'm returning to a more comfortable climate in the north a week. <laughs> but um, so, yeah, so obviously uh, she was, in, in fact, she raised some good questions uh, during the well, even before I got the Q&A. So she was very much engaged, uh, uh, very interested in what we were talking about. And in the Q&A session uh, uh, following, you know, there was some good questions asked. People asked intelligent questions. Uh, there was, you know, they were more on the level of curiosity. Uh, I didn't feel any antagonism any hostility, I felt the entire audience was people who were really there to listen and learn and and get answers to their questions. So, yeah, well, that's something I wanted to ask you about was about challenging questions, and uh, you know, I know when you're in the moment, it's hard to remember every single detail. But what were some of the challenging questions that you received? <clears throat> Well, let's see. Uh, yeah, there was one that uh, comes to mind is somebody pointed out that the uh, firms that did the private reports, there was a, a couple of uh, private reports done on behalf of uh, uh, World Trade Center, World Trade Center Building 7 properties. Um, and uh, the, the insurer and the owner uh, and those were what they understood were reputable firms that conducted the, prepared the reports on behalf of uh, their clients. And, and of course their clients had a particular interest in, in an outcome. So they were uh, a little puzzled, I guess uh, would be the best way to describe it, is there, how do you account for uh, these, what they understood to be technically very uh, accomplished firms, how do you account for them um, not coming up to similar conclusions? And I really couldn't give a good answer to that. I did not uh, refute their competence. 
Uh, I may have made a comment uh, referring back to the closing comments I made in my pre formal presentation regarding ethics and working for clients who have a particular, who have an interest in a particular outcome and left in a fit. And, and, uh, <clears throat> well, th that's a question they should be asking those firms. I mean, all we can do is present the evidence, show where uh, other parties such as NIST and whatnot got it wrong. Obviously, the whole conclusion that it was a fire-induced collapse is wrong. So whatever data or whatever uh, line of thinking that you followed to get to that conclusion must be flawed as well. And it's not to go after individuals or try to besmirch anyone's reputation. But it's a good question if you got a firm that has a good reputation in your mind. Um, and that's not something that we can answer. You got to go to them. You got to say, hey, look, this guy, Larry Cooper, just gave this excellent presentation. He's from a group called Architects and Engineers for 9-11 Truth, AE911Truth.org. Go and look it up. And um, this is what they're saying about Building 7. What sayest thou to, to this? And then they come out and give their defense of it if they choose to. That's how science works. So unfortunately, yes, somebody can be right about a lot of things, but when they're wrong, they are wrong. And in this particular case, all of these professional establishments that have spoon-fed you this official story and told you to move on, they are wrong, and more people are waking up to that. Um, <clears throat> now, you got a you got a standing ovation. I can't say that enough. That is very important for our supporters to know and for the other side to know. Um, and what I wanted to ask you here was that uh, if we were just, just again, this is, you know, a lot of these questions I'm going to ask you today are speculative. That's fine, though. Uh, if we were just dealing with the grassroots, if we weren't dealing with higher groups, do you think we'd have a different story? And I'm not just talking about ASCE. I'm talking about at all these professional organizations um, that meet and talk about such matters. Do you think if we were just dealing with the grassroots, that this would be a different perception of this issue that would be more openly discussed? Absolutely. Right. Because at the grassroots level, why, yeah, people are interested. They're curious. Uh, if there's something they feel they can learn by listening to a presentation, they're eager to do it. I mean, people in the middle of their career, uh, they're always uh, wanting to learn as much as possible. And if there are problems, uh, uh, yeah, they're interested in the uh, different perspectives on the problem. So if, if they were left alone, if they had autonomy in making their decisions about who was going to, whose presentations they were going to listen to, why I think the doors, many doors would fly wide open. Um, but um, people, not just engineers, but people in general, um, if something is perceived to be controversial, if something is perceived as, uh, well, you know, maybe this isn't the really, my boss may not uh, think too kindly about me uh, uh, getting involved here or people up the chain, uh, yeah, they might shy away from it. So it takes, people who are independent-minded, people who feel secure, people who have a long-term perspective. Uh, they're not just 
concerned about the moment, uh, but they want to gain uh, an in-depth understanding uh, and feel a strong sense of responsibility to society. Uh, so it's... Uh, Nothing is controversial until some authority tells them that it's controversial. I think more people are open to questioning things. And if it's a dumb issue, let's say it revolves around a celebrity or something, and it's like, oh, you got one side or the other, this guy or his wife, you know. They want people arguing about that stuff, I believe, because it, it keeps them distracted and it's great at, uh, you know, for, for click click ratings and that stuff. You know, there's nothing controversial about taking a side in that. It's like, oh, you're from Team A or you're from Team B. That's not controversial. But if somebody came in and said, if you take this one person's side over the other, if some authority said that, you know, more people would hesitate. That's what happened with this issue. You know, and I'm so sick of hearing this talking point, and that's all that it is. I have no doubt that there's like some clipboard that these people refer to, and it's like, oh, okay, say this. Oh, you only have 3,500 architects and engineers. There's so many in the world. Oh, you have failed. You've only got these 3,500. Well, first of all, that's pretty darn good, considering the circumstances that we are in. All right, it should not be Andy Steele bringing this information to you every week. It should be CNN, MSNBC. Fox News, until we have some resolution. I would love that. I would love them to take this job over for me. I'd tear all this down and turn it into an art studio. That's exactly what would happen. But of unfortunately, they are not because their job from day one has been to stifle this. So a lot of architects and engineers don't even know this issue exists. A lot of them don't even know a third tower fell on September 11th. I've experienced that with architects at AIA. I've experienced it with engineers. A lot of them don't even know that there was a third building. What the heck is up with that? I mean, you well, have this building that falls straight down, symmetrical for the first time in history just because of fire, and a lot of people in the profession don't even know about it. Your comments? Yeah, well, yeah. In fact, uh, before I began my presentation, uh, I asked the audience a question. How many of you were aware of the collapse of Building 7, the third high-rise building at the World Trade Center prior to being informed of this presentation? Um, I think it was seven people raised their hand, seven out of the 22. So basically a third of the audience uh, heard about it. Uh, the other two thirds had not heard about it. Um, but also I think relative to what you were just bringing up, Andy, I think there is uh, what also comes out in the presentation is uh, uh, some news, some, some broadcast clips uh, on the day of 9-11. Um, some prominent broadcasters uh, were describing what they were seeing. Uh, and of course, I recognize one of the voices. I think it's uh, Dan Rather, who was, as I mentioned to the audience, if you're, if you're close to my age, you might even recognize some of these voices. Uh, but they were describing on 9-11 what they were seeing. Uh, as looking like controlled demolition, as looking like building imploding, um, explosives. That those words, that language stopped after September 11. You didn't hear it anymore. Um, what does that tell you? That suggests that there was some pressure coming down from on high through the network management owners 
to change your language. For a certain language we're not going to use when we're describing this event. Because they went uh, basically all, all the major networks, those that are responsible for presenting the news uh, in an informed manner, uh, we're not doing it. I can remember uh, in the, well, I can't remember. I saw it later in coverage of September 11th from ABC News. This was later on in the evening to bring on a, I believe it was a structural engineer describe why the Twin Towers collapsed. So they were ready to go with an explanation. Now they didn't have the full explanation at that point, but they were throwing out hypotheses. Never say that word correctly. But, um, <clears throat> but Peter Jennings says, do we have a lock on why that third building came down? Now it's impossible to speculate on what he was actually thinking as he said this, and the man is, is deceased now. So uh, we can't ask him, but I, I did detect a hint of suspicion. You know, he wanted to know why that third building came down. Wasn't just uh, was accepting that it went down, brushing it. So obviously something was going on in his brain. And it's unfortunate that we don't have these questions asked over again. It's unfortunate that this was such a huge event and such a shocking and tragic one that a lot of people just fell into line and never uh, really pushed the envelope. Uh, with digging deeper. We just accepted the story that we were told, and then the whole focus was on going to war and all of that stuff. But again, we're doing the job that the media can't. So my point is, you know, 3,500 architects and engineers, that's pretty darn good for the work uh, we have been doing, considering that we have no help from the corporate media except from them attacking us. And it's kind of sick if you think about it. Like them attacking us is the only help, quote unquote, that they give us through publicity. Um, and uh, we're getting our message out there. It's because of the efforts of people here at AE911 Truth that these presentations are happening. And of course, for those great ASCE people in the grassroots who are, uh, are scheduling these presentations and putting them on. And it seems like with the ASCE and, and you know the, some leadership efforts to you know, stifle this, it seems like they're stifling the will of their membership. What do you think about that? Well, they obviously are, certainly. And, um, and, and so then you have ponder the question, why? Um, and I guess the best conclusion uh, uh, I can come to is somehow, it, I mean, it's, well, let's first of all understand that at the grassroots level and on up the ranks uh, quite a ways, people are, they're doing the best job they can. They're practicing engineering uh, the best they can. They're interested in doing a good job. Uh, but something happened at the upper levels uh, related to 9-11. And somehow our uh, ASCE, uh, selected ASCE folks got involved and, and they basically supported uh, the narrative that we're, that we're now hearing. And so you wonder, okay, how did that happen? Because uh, I don't think, I'm in general, I think 99% of engineers are ethical people and they want to be ethical people. Um, but you have to understand, I think, that uh, for civil engineers, governmental agencies are 
our primary clients. That's our number one client, whether it's at the federal, state, or local level. Uh, most of our work we do for governmental agencies. And of course, you want to, you're always uh, supportive of your clients. So you have that mindset in your relationship with your client as to wanting to support them. Now, we have an obligation, according to our code of ethics, to put public health and safety above the interest of our clients if there's a conflict. And so how does one slide across that barrier if you will, if that's the right term, uh, is, you know, an interesting uh, exercise in psychology, I guess, and how does one slide into that position. But anyhow, somehow it happened. Once it happened, then, of course, no one wants to be uh, accused of having uh, violated uh, their ethical standards, having violated the laws of physics as we know them uh, and so they go into uh, self-protection mode uh, and they go into denying any they become defensive and now you have to push that on when when reality starts coming up the chain then the stop the top starts pushing down because that's going to expose something as having happened in our profession that should not be happening. And we don't want that exposed. And engineers are not unique. I mean, we see that happening in many other institutions and so on also. So we have an interesting psychological, sociological uh, problem to, uh, to deal with. And, and that's part of our challenge, us who deal with the laws of physics. Oh, okay, now we got to deal with uh, <laughs> how people behave, human behavior. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, you know, that's our biggest obstacle. I've always said it. We're, we're past the science arguing phase. I mean, I, well, I wish we were. We still have to make the science arguments, hence why PDD exists. But it's really a sociological problem. I just want to say this to any engineers out there who may be flirting with the issue or whatever, however you want to say it watching this. I mean, there's nothing wrong with coming out and saying, look, I didn't really look into the evidence before. Uh, and there actually is something here. It doesn't mean that you're any less of a person, any less of an engineer. I can actually remember my brother <clears throat> said that he worked with a guy who said that uh, the government did 9-11 and all this stuff. And he doesn't get into that, just establish that. But, you know, the guy was saying that he said, there's something wrong with the way the towers came down. And I was just like, well, yeah, yeah your friend's uh obviously smoking something or, or whatever, but I hadn't looked into the evidence. It just sounded far-fetched. And I, I sympathize with that, actually. When you first hear this said, it's like, how would they get away with something like this? But when you actually look at the evidence, um, I can't see how these towers could have come down without pre-placed explosives. So now I'm on the, the complete opposite side. Everybody was there at one point. Most people were there at one point. So there's nothing wrong with saying, look, I made some snap judgments in the beginning and... Uh, I should have looked at this a little bit more closely. Why aren't we doing something with this? And it gets into the importance of these efforts. 
you know, and I want to say this for the 9-11 truth movement. What we focus on here is 9-11. I really believe it's the linchpin to everything that's upsetting us right now here 20 years after the event took place and for some people they might be upset about this world event and other people might be upset about this other event and so that's what that's why we don't focus on the you know quote conspiracy of the week here that's why we don't uh you know look into other aspects every once in a while we might shine a spotlight on on something but it's very rare we focus in on what our mission is here and it's actions like this what larry did again a standing ovation at the end of his presentation from people who are not in the 9-11 truth movement. It's one thing if you're doing your presentation to people who are already on board. But when you're actually going out to these chapters, not preaching to the choir, and you're getting standing ovations, number one, it says something about America, where people are, it's a good sampling, but it also shows how important the work of people like, like Larry, like Roland, uh, like John and Zyda, and all the other people, Seth McVeigh, that we've had here from Project Due Diligence is, and why we need to get behind this. Because, like, you know, I could do a show for every successful presentation that we have, but it would just sort of be repetitive. Be like, oh, yeah, and they clapped at the end, and you got some good questions, and they got the evidence out there. Um, so we're not going to talk about it all of the time, but it's happening. This is what AE 9-11 Truth is doing behind the scenes. And so, you know, when we're on here talking about the stuff that's more, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Like in the spotlight, the NIST lawsuit and all of this, what's going on elsewhere that we're not talking about is these presentations, these, these great uh, achievements that are being done. And we, you know, we always need help with this. And the great thing is uh, people like Larry are the ones that do the presenting of evidence. So you don't have to do that. All you got to do is get it set up for them. If you're interested in doing that, let me know. Um, you know, I'm not interested in people that want to lecture me and say, oh, you should be talking about uh, the, the, the reaches of power and secret society. I don't, I don't want to hear about any of that. The main key is to get Larry into a presentation somewhere, <laughs> either in Michigan or in Florida, wherever he currently is at at that point in the in the you know, in the year, um, or Roland or whoever. We've got people all over the country practically, and everything is done virtually now too, uh, for the most part. And, uh, you know, we can do virtual presentations, but we need people to make the calls. So if you want to do that and you can follow instructions and, uh, you know, you got to follow instructions because otherwise it's dysfunctional and stick to the plan, then, you know, let us know and we'll put you to work in that. It's so gratifying to get presentations set up for these great folks and hear about how successful they were. There's nothing better than success, no greater motivator. And I've always believed that. So anyway, that is why I think Project Due Diligence is so important. It's like uh, it's like Rocky Balboa punching at Apollo Creed's ribs here, you know, eventually just making them all weak and unable to throw the, the punches at the end. That's a movie reference. But uh, that, that's why it's so important to me. Why do you think this is so important after what I just said? Well, I think people just need to give some thought to what happened uh, following 9-11. How has the world changed since 9-11? And I frequently hear references made to, well, when we're, we're dealing with different situations, uh, catastrophes, and make reference to 9-11. Well, what were the catastrophes that followed 9-11? What did 9-11 have to do uh, with uh, things that followed subsequently? And 
you know, we can argue about cause and effect, um, but there is a relationship and just exactly what that relationship is, you know, that's a whole nother debate to have by informed people. Uh, but it's pretty clear that uh, as a result of 9-11, why, well, first of all, let me say that, yeah, when you come to the conclusion that the, when you accept the conclusion that um, there was um, explosives planted in the buildings because that's the only plausible explanation uh, for explaining, let's, let's talk particularly about building seven now, that's the only plausible explanation uh, for what brought that building down. That means somebody installed those explosives in advance of 9-11. That means there was some planning done. That means there's more to the story than uh, we're led to believe. We're led to believe that 9-11 happened and then bad things happened after that. Well, but 9-11 was planned. Who was involved in that? In the who was involved in that planning is clearly different than uh, what we're led to believe. That, that it doesn't fit with the common narrative. So we need to understand that because that has had a huge impact on the United States and the political atmosphere in this country and how people from other parts of the world were perceived. And don't forget, there was a couple of wars. Uh, the war against Afghanistan within a couple of weeks, I believe, and then two years later against Iraq. And that was all related to 9-11. Now, cause and effect is a whole other discussion. But there is definitely a connection. I think everyone would agree to that. So we need to understand that. So it's it had a huge impact on the world then, and it still is having a huge impact. And we need to understand that so we can prevent these sorts of uh, happenings in the future for better the betterment of our society, for the betterment of the uh, people around the world, as far as that goes, not just the United States, but especially here in, uh, so. Yeah, and everything that you do has an impact. I mean, I, you know, I've seen it myself after my my mom called C-SPAN. Yeah, the old lady that called and called them out for censoring questions, that was my mom. Um, <clears throat> but the next day, because she embarrassed them so badly, you could see the congressman Gets a gets a cue from off. This was Chris Smith. Gets a cue from off stage, and he's like, "Okay, I'm getting this now." And then he gives like a long ten minute answer or something to it. Obviously, we weren't satisfied with that either. But you have an impact when you reach out and do things. And sometimes it's the things that people don't know about behind the scenes that have the biggest impact. And imagine if we get acknowledged, get it acknowledged that the towers were brought down and controlled demolitions on that day. I don't care, you know, how evil you think the system is. They are going to be scared to try to pull something like this off again. Transparency and truth will be the trend. It will be the standard. 
with which America operates, not because uh, these people have seen the light and their 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 souls are reborn or anything like that. It's going to be fear. It's going to be fear of irrelevancy, fear of repercussions. They are not going to be pulling the same kind of stuff again, at least for a little while. I know history is all full of tyrants and bad things happening, and in the future there may be some new thing. But in the immediate aftermath, for I would say next fifty years, fifty to a hundred years. Um, 9-11 will be held up as the standard of something to never let happen again. They tried to, you know, they held it up as a standard, never let it happen again. We need all the civil rights killing legislation. We need to invade these countries to never let it happen again. Well, that never let it happen again will change. We need to have further transparency from our government. We need to have a lock on um, what they're doing, further control over them. So that it never happens again. It would be a renaissance, a golden age. And aren't you sick of all the drama that our government stirs up all over the world? I mean, I'm saying this out to the audience. Aren't you sick of it? Wouldn't you like us to focus on the arts again? Focus on cool, big projects like going to Mars or something? Have that be like what's on the news, something that we can be proud of again? Not have all this drama infecting our lives. And it's so important to stay on topic. And I understand it's difficult with so much going on in the world. I'm concerned about the situation with Russia and all of that in the Ukraine. And, you know, the fact that uh, both sides have nuclear weapons. It makes me nervous seeing the headlines. But I stay focused here. <clears throat> and because this is what we do here at AE911 Truth. And, uh, and basically, this is what's going to pull everything out from under what we're concerned about now and it's what we know it's what people like larry know about why larry i want to hear from you i've talked long enough why is it important to stay on topic and stay narrowly focused on our mission well uh, because if if we go off the rails and we start uh, trying to connect this with some other issues it becomes uh well it becomes very distracting we need to stay on message, stay on uh, our discussions of what is relevant to 9-11. Uh, and uh, when you start getting off into other issues, uh, then you start um, raising questions about, well, how much credibility do you really have? Because uh, we're focused on the science, the science related to the collapse of the buildings. And that's where we have to stay. Um, because when it gets into going beyond that, I mean, we've established what happened basically, fundamentally. There's a lot more in-depth studies that can be done, uh, but we've established uh, fundamentally what has happened and um, so now we need to uh, so we need to move ahead based on that um, and, and let's not uh, let's not uh, wander off into the woods and talk about uh, other things just because you think that the government and I guess I, I would emphasize too I don't like to use broad terms like the government uh, or even NIST because within government, within NIST, 90% or more of the people there are 
doing the best job they can. Uh, they're good, honest people trying to do the best job they can. But something happened in this case. Uh, that's clear. There's a problem. Um, so let's stick with what we know and, and not get into wild speculation um, and make broad, make, let's not make broad statements uh, about the government or even about NIST. Let's talk about the people involved in this project and their actions and inactions uh, and what elements in the government might have been involved. Um, but we, we have to stay away from uh, making generalized accusations, I'll put it that way. Yeah. Right. And you know the way I look at it, I mean, for myself, I've resolved. Now, look, it's impossible to not have opinions on things. I mean, you live and breathe in this world. You see the headlines and uh, you're affected by things. You have opinions on them. But other things going on are well represented by other people. I mean, my participation in it is not going to mean much, right? But there's not a lot of people right now who do the weekly show for AE. And so that's where my focus is. That's where, uh, this is where I work. And this is where I think we have the best chance of making a difference. I really believe that. And 3,000 people died on that day. You know, that is one of the most, still the most pressing issue in my view, because when we expose this, I'm not gonna say if, I'm gonna say when, when we expose this and when we get this acknowledged, it is going to change everything for all the reasons that I listed before. So I, you know, I believe that whoever we're up against, whoever was responsible for this, whoever perpetuates the cup of, uh, the cover up, and I'm not talking about one person. There's probably a lot of people. Um, <clears throat> I think they want everybody being broken up like a jigsaw puzzle, running into all sorts of different directions, arguing over this factoid, over that factoid, onto other, you know, uh, other aspects of 9/11. I think they tried to sow unrest and create that out there so that we can't all get behind this one thing um, that's uh, that that's been a record throughout history of um, government actions to disrupt activists and things like that I you know I'm not going to accuse anyone but I'm just saying that the, uh, the they don't want us unified on this one topic they want us to lose interest and move on and not keep on harping on these same points I'm proud to keep on harping on these same evidence points and continuously talking about this because we are the telltale heart beneath the floorboards driving the murderers insane. You better believe they don't like this broadcast. They don't like what we do here, which is all the more reason to keep on doing it. And why you out there need to support people like Larry, get behind Project Due Diligence. If you can't donate, then uh, donate your time. You got like a Monday or Tuesday off from work, contact me. I will tell you what to say. I will tell you who to call. And you say, hey, we've got a great presentation, two reports, NIST report, Building 7 report from University of Alaska. They're in they're in uh, conflict with each other. And this isn't the script, folks. I'm just kind of coming up with it off the top of my head. But the, uh, you know, how about we have a presentation? A lot of them are eager to do it, too. A lot of them want to get that that requirement of their office filled and be like, yeah, yeah, well, about in uh, May or June, when are you available? It's just really exciting, too. Really exciting feeling. Again, there's no greater motivator than success. So you can consider being a part of that. And uh, if you're if you're a good worker, Stay on topic, and then we'll be happy to have you. So yeah. that's it. Yeah. Well, ahead, we, do, we, we do have cookies for attendees too. We yeah we have we get uh, PDH credits. 
Uh, in there fact, you go. Florida presentation, uh, eight people signed up to get uh, uh, PDH uh, credits. So, yeah, so there is a Benny for uh, engineers who are working, who need to earn X number of uh, professional development hours uh, every year or every two years. So I come to our uh, presentation and you'll earn some credits and you'll learn something. <laughs> right. And if anybody in any professional organization leadership is watching this and going back to the drawing board, say, how do we stop this from happening? Do you really want your legacy to be that? How to stifle <laughs> open discussion of ideas? Like when you look into the eyes of your grandkids, do you want to say, that's what I contributed to the world? So why not, instead of trying to plot against us and using this as, as Intel, the show, as we inform our supporters of what we're doing and how to stop us, why don't you just let the discussion happen and see where it goes. If, if you really don't believe us, if you really think we're full of beans, use a clean word, then yeah. uh, then have the, let's have the debate. Come on, yes. what do you have to hide of? You don't want your legacy to be about stifling discussion of open ideas and evidence. That's not yes. what, uh, what people grow up wanting to do. We are out of time, Larry. I had a fun time today, though, and um, thank you so much for what you're doing, and keep on doing it, as I know you will, and thanks to the audience out there for watching. All right. Thank you, Andy. Enjoyed it. Have a good day. Okay.